Welcome to the audio channel of the Reverend Dr. C.H.E. Sadoffel. His purpose is to preach Christ, teach the Bible, and make disciples. Now let us open our Bibles and our hearts as we listen to him proclaim the Word of God. Church, I would invite the congregation to stand and please turn to John chapter 3, verses 1 to 3 as we first pray and then read the Word of God. John chapter 3, verses 1 to 3. Let us pray. And now we humble ourselves before God Almighty, whose grace has gifted us and whose love has saved us. Patiently now we wait for thee. You were as a lamp to our paths and a light to our feet. May the Holy Spirit strengthen his servant to deliver a word of truth so that many to Jesus will come and meet. Amen. John chapter 3, verses 1 to 3. Now there was a man of the Pharisees named Nicodemus, a ruler of the Jews. This man came to Jesus by night and said to him, Rabbi, we know that you have come from God as a teacher, for no one can do these signs that you do unless God is with him. Jesus answered and said to Nicodemus, Truly, truly, I say to you, unless one is born again, he cannot see the kingdom of God. Please be seated. So church, this morning we're going to be in John chapter 3. But before we zoom in to our text, let's zoom out a bit and get a contextual idea of where we are in the New Testament. We're in the Gospel of John. And in the end of John chapter 2, Jesus causes a ruckus in church. Jesus walks into the temple and cleanses it. He purifies his father's house, flips over money-changing tables, and drives out all of those people who were desecrating the house of God. And Jesus purified the temple. He purified his father's house, knowing what was in the hearts of every human being. This is what John chapter 2 Verses 24 to 25 says, Jesus knew all men. He did not need anyone to testify concerning man, for he himself knew what was in man. What now happens following John chapter 2 is Jesus begins having intimate, personal, one-on-one conversations with individuals. And he has conversations with them where he sees right through everything on the outside, pierces their hearts, and speaks directly into what was residing in that person's inner being. In John chapter 4, Jesus speaks to the Samaritan woman, the woman at the well. In John chapter 5, Jesus speaks to the lame beggar at the pool of Bethesda. And in John chapter 3, Jesus has a deep, personal, intimate conversation with the man called Nicodemus. Now we'll zoom in to John chapter 3, verses 1 to 3. 
And in John chapter 3, verses 1 to 3, when Jesus has an in-depth, a one-on-one conversation with Nicodemus, the topic of the conversation was one thing. It was regeneration. Being born again. I have one point this morning. That point is regeneration. One idea, several expositions, several applications. Regeneration. What Jesus tells Nicodemus in a nutshell is that in order for you to really and truly be my disciple, you must be regenerated. You must be a new man in order to make it to heaven. You cannot enter any old way. You must be a new creation, regeneration. In order for you, Nicodemus, for you to call yourself a Christian and for that to actually mean something, For that to actually be true in the eyes of God, you must be regenerated, born again, and raised to new life, putting to death what you were. Jesus talks to Nicodemus about regeneration. Our text begins, John 3, 1. Now there was a man of the Pharisees named Nicodemus, a ruler of the Jews. Nicodemus was a Pharisee. Who were the Pharisees? The Pharisees were the really religious, religious folk. If you were a Jew living 2,000 years ago and someone were to take a poll on the street and say, hey, who are the most pious, who are the most religious group of people you would know, the immediate answer would be the Pharisees. But not only was Nicodemus a Pharisee, he was a ruler of the Jews, meaning he had power, he had sway, he had prestige, he had authority. The point is that Nicodemus was not a simpleton. Nicodemus was an intelligent, mature, established, accomplished, educated individual. But something about Jesus drew Nicodemus to him. Jesus didn't come searching for Nicodemus. Nicodemus came searching for Jesus. And something pulled and drew him to speak to the Messiah. And what does verse 2 say? That this man, Nicodemus, came to Jesus by night. Why did Nicodemus visit Christ by night? The text does not say. Was it because Nicodemus was too busy? Was it because Jesus was too busy? Was it because Nicodemus was ashamed? The text does not say. The only thing it does tell us is that Nicodemus came to visit him by night. And Nicodemus resolved to speak to Jesus in private. So while the rest of the world was sleeping, Nicodemus was getting clarity and meaningful answers to his burning Bible questions, which is a sermon in and of itself. Nicodemus wasn't going to bed. He wasn't going to sleep. He had issues he had to resolve. He did not make an appointment to see the Apostle Peter. 
He didn't make an appointment to see the junior pastor. He wants to see the senior, senior, senior pastor, Jesus himself, and get his answers directly from the source. And Nicodemus begins by saying, Rabbi, we know that you have come from God as a teacher, for no one can do these signs that you do unless God is with him. Nicodemus calls Jesus rabbi, which is an honorary title. It means teacher or master. In particular, a teacher of the law. And the fact that Nicodemus was a Pharisee, the fact that he knew his stuff, the fact that he was a ruler of the Jews, and he calls Jesus rabbi actually means something. Because the person who's calling Jesus a rabbi knows his stuff. And he says, Jesus, we know you've been sent by God because of all these signs you're doing. What does he mean by that? Signs equals miracles. Signs, wonders, and miracles. Up until this point in John's gospel, we've only heard about one miracle, Jesus turning water into wine at the wedding at Cana in John chapter 2. But Nicodemus does not say sign, he says signs, plural, implying Jesus had already done many signs and wonders up until this point. And the signs that Jesus performed were doing exactly what God always designed for them to do. Validate the message, validate the messenger, and to prepare the mind for faith. And how does Christ respond? Does he say, thank you, Nicodemus, for coming to see me? I'm glad you recognize me as being sent by God. It makes me feel so special. Does he tell Nicodemus, hey, that miracle at the wedding at Cana, that was a good one. Did you happen to taste the wine? People tell me it tasted great. He doesn't say any of that. He doesn't acknowledge anything that Nicodemus says. Jesus did not come to make small talk. He did not come to chit-chat. He is the savior of humankind to seek and to save that which was lost. And Jesus' response cuts through everything on the outside and speaks to directly why Nicodemus was actually there. Jesus knowing what was in Nicodemus' heart speaks exactly to his dilemma. And Jesus says, John 3, 3, Jesus answered Nicodemus and said to him, Truly, truly, I say to you, Unless one is born again, he cannot see the kingdom of God. My Bible says truly, truly. Your Bible may say verily, verily. God is repeating himself and saying what I'm about to say is truly true. It is certainly certain, so make sure you mark this as important. And Jesus says truly, truly, because he's about to sow a seed of eternal, supernatural truth and wants to make sure the soil is ready to receive that seed. Jesus then says, unless, 
The word unless marks a necessary condition, meaning unless a particular condition is met, you're not going to have a particular outcome. The outcome is seeing the kingdom of God, the condition that must be met to meet that outcome is being born again, being regenerated. In plain English, what Jesus is telling Nicodemus is that if you are regenerated, you will see the kingdom of God. If you are not regenerated, you will not see the kingdom of God. You will not be saved. You will not make it to heaven. You will not know God. You will not be a part of Christ's church. Beloved, regeneration, being born again from our human, earthly, natural perspective marks the beginning of our Christian lives. We became Christian the second we were regenerated. And if anyone ever asks you, hey, why are you Christian? The answer is because I've been regenerated, because I've been born again, because God first acted on me. So what does this term mean, being born again, being regenerated? Regeneration refers to the supernatural transformation of a person's spirit, from death to life through the work of the Holy Spirit. Regeneration refers to the supernatural transformation of a person's spirit from death to life through the work of the Holy Spirit. Every human being has a body. You can touch it. You can touch your arms, your legs, that's your body. Every human being also has a soul. That's where your thought life comes from, your will, your desires. But someone who is unregenerate has a dead, lifeless spirit. Where their spirit should be, there's a formlessness and a void. But what the Holy Spirit now does when he regenerates someone is he breathes life into the spirit. So now a person is not just a body and a soul. They are a body, a soul, and a spirit. And now being a slave to their body and their soul, they have a new operating system. They have a new CPU that leads, guides, and directs their entire being. Their body does not change. Regeneration is not material. They still have a soul, but they now have a living, vibrant spirit. And regeneration, therefore, means a radical new life that did not exist before. Now there's a disposition. There's a desire. People now actually want to do godly things. Now people actually want to turn away from sin and repent, and they are attracted. It's an irresistible compulsion to follow Jesus Christ and to walk in his commandments. Regeneration means that Jesus Christ now owns the deed to your heart. So what changes when a person is regenerated? The answer is simple. 
everything changes because now you have radical new spiritual life. Regeneration does not mean you are elevated. It doesn't mean you are simply improved. It does not mean you are formed or simply washed on the outside. It is a deep-seated, extreme change. Regeneration, therefore, does not mean you now have a Christian name. It does not mean you simply begin dressing like everyone else in church. It doesn't mean you take your kids out of public school and enroll them in Christian school. It doesn't mean saying, I'm a Christian. Regeneration has nothing to do with getting baptized or saying a sinner's prayer. Regeneration is not new religion. It's new life. When I say religion, I'm talking about everything. I'm talking about Roman Catholicism, Islam, Hinduism, Buddhism, Zoroastrianism. You get the point. All religion does is it dresses up spiritually dead people. People who have no spiritual life. It dresses them up on the outside so they can think because they're doing religious things. Somehow they now have an okay standing with God. So that now they can look at themselves in the mirror and not be repulsed by their spiritual deadness. Regeneration is not new religion, it is new life, where now that was which was once dead, a spiritual corpse, now has living, vibrant, spiritual life, so that now a person truly does have a right standing with God, because God is the one who regenerated them. Regeneration is permanent and imperishable because spiritual birth begets eternal spiritual life. Translation, if God regenerates you, nothing can undo his work. Once you are regenerated, you are regenerated forever. 1 Peter 1.23 says, You have been born again, not of the seed which is perishable, but imperishable. That is through the living and enduring Word of God. There's a doctrine called perseverance of the saints. Meaning, once God regenerates you, He doesn't leave you alone. He regenerates you, stays with you, and now you are His forever. For as Philippians 1.6, when God begins a good work in you, He intends to finish it. And once Jesus Christ holds you in His hand, nothing is ever going to make Him let go. John 10.28 Beloved, regeneration is not God giving you a second chance. Regeneration is God giving you a first guarantee where now you are a child of God. And the Heavenly Father who regenerated you by the work of the Holy Spirit always guarantees that you have a seat at your Father's table. Regeneration means you are a new creature. So the new spiritual life lives. The old fleshly version of you dies. 2 Corinthians 5.17 Therefore, if anyone is in Christ, he is a new creature. The old things passed away. Behold, new things have come. Regeneration therefore means you have a deep inward transformation that affects your mind. 
giving you new understanding. It affects your judgment, giving you discernment to distinguish between spiritual truth and error. It gives you a new will. You now actually want to do that which is right. You now want to pursue righteousness and holiness. And now you have brand new desires. Being regenerated does not mean you become apathetic and desireless. Regeneration means you now have augmented desires to do that which is godly. Does the old nature still exist? Of course it does. But the second you are regenerated, the spiritual version of you begins to grow and live, whereas the fleshly version of you is given its death sentence. Regeneration is an operative act of grace. It is initiated by God's unmerited favor. Titus 3.5 says, God saved us, not on the basis of deeds which we have done in righteousness, but according to his mercy, by the washing of regeneration and renewing by the Holy Spirit. God's choice to regenerate someone is free. God's choice to regenerate someone is unconditional. Do you know how we know that? Because the Bible tells us so. We know that God's choice is unconditional because God doesn't make a choice to regenerate someone conditional on a corpse. Conditional on someone who's spiritually dead. God doesn't look at someone who spiritually has no life. He doesn't look at what they are. He doesn't look at what a corpse is doing and then decide whether or not to regenerate because someone who is spiritually dead isn't doing anything. But God's choice to regenerate is unconditional based upon his free, sovereign will. Romans 9.15, John 6.37, and 17.2. And because, beloved, God the Holy Spirit is the agent of regeneration, nothing can take his place. An individual can't take his place, an institution can't take his place, nor can an ideology take his place. No one, therefore, acts to regenerate themselves. Let's make this all very plain. We live in a technological era, so everyone knows what a computer is. You have your desktop, you have your keyboard, you have your mouse, you have your monitor. But I want you to imagine the non-regenerated version of you as a computer. You have your CPU, you have memory, you have a hard disk. But the problem is that that computer is now warped, it's corrupted because it has lots of viruses. And now that computer's ability to operate is compromised because all these viruses warp the coding inside the computer. If you're writing a document, if you're running an app, if you're searching the web, whatever, everything you are doing is warped and polluted 
because of all the viruses lurking around inside of the mainframe. And guess what? A virus-laden computer can't clean itself, can it? So what now happens is the Holy Spirit descends upon that computer. And the Holy Spirit cleanses and wipes clean every trace of every virus in that system. And what the Holy Spirit now does is it installs a brand new operating system. And that operating system now works on a completely different language where now this machine is reading different stuff. It's running different stuff. It's doing different things. So although it's still a computer, although there's still a keyboard, although on the outside things look exactly the same, on the inside it's a completely different machine because the operating system that's now running it is radically and totally different. Now when you try to put old stuff in the computer, it doesn't recognize it because the old language is now alien. Now instead of sin operating things on the inside, now it's the Holy Spirit turning that computer into something radically and totally different. I say all that to say that regeneration transforms you into a radical new person and therefore a radical new life. But Jesus uses the terminology born again in John 3, verse 3, and as Jesus always does in the book of John, He speaks volumes by saying very little. There's much to say in Jesus choosing the language of born again. Because again, born again is synonymous with regeneration. When we are born again, we must realize that generation always precedes birth. Generation always precedes birth. What does that mean? When a woman gets pregnant and a sperm meets up with an egg inside of her womb, she doesn't know the minute she gets pregnant, does she? When that new life is generated, if she's walking down the street or shopping, she's not going to notice anything different. The heavens are not going to open. She's not going to see angels. A bright light's not going to shine down from her from the skies above. One minute she's not pregnant... And the next minute, she is. And it's usually subliminal. It's usually unconscious. It's usually something that's undetectable. But the generation, the fertilization, that zygote now become a human being, that precedes the birth. Because invariably, nine months after that egg is fertilized, what's going to happen? Now the baby is born. Now you have something which is obvious because a baby lets everyone know that it's here. The woman's going to know. The father's going to know. The doctors are going to know. The grandparents are going to know. Now there's going to be real-life, natural, physical manifestations of that generation in real life because generation precedes birth. Spiritually speaking now, when we are born again, 
the act, the moment of regeneration is often imperceptible, quiet, and silent. But invariably, when the Holy Spirit regenerates you, at some point after that, you're going to begin demonstrating real-life manifestations of that new birth. And just like a baby lets everyone know it's here when you are regenerated, it'll be obvious by the life that you lead. And just as no one is born an adult, everyone is born again as a spiritual baby, meaning even after you're born, you grow, you mature, your Bible muscles get bigger, you get taller, and eventually you're going to become a mommy, spiritually speaking, a spiritual mommy and daddy to raise up young spiritual children. No one had any control over when they were born, to whom they were born. They were simply born. So in the same way that a man and a woman must act first, in order to begin a child, the Holy Spirit must act first to regenerate a person. And the reason why is simple, because dead people can't do anything. People who are unregenerate are spiritually dead, and dead people do not act. But understanding why the Holy Spirit must act first is critically important. The Holy Spirit must be the operative agent that must act first to regenerate someone. The reason why is simple. Because no one loves the darkness against their own will. When someone is unregenerate, they desire, they want to do that which is of the darkness. They don't like God. They don't love God. They have zero to desire to do anything godly. They love the darkness. They love sin. They want to do that which is contrary to God's will. And if they love the darkness, they hate the light. And if you love the darkness, then blindness is spiritually protective because the light hurts your eyes. And someone who loves and delights in the darkness will never turn or choose the light. No one births themselves. Therefore, the Holy Spirit must act first. Do we realize, church, a non-regenerate person would not be in heaven if they were in heaven? They would not be in heaven if they were in heaven. They would hate it because they hate God. They hate his law. They hate his word. They hate, hate, hate everything of the light. A non-regenerate person would be in hell if they were in heaven. A non-regenerate person says, the preaching is too hard. The church is too churchy. The Bible is too biblical. A non-regenerate person says, let's stop quoting scripture, let's tell more stories, and let's dial God down, because in their heart they hate it. My Bible is 1,600 pages long. 
In those 1,600 pages, it tells me a whole lot about God. A whole lot. It also tells me a whole lot about myself. It's like reading an autobiography. And what the Bible tells me about me, what the Bible tells me about the inherent human condition, is that the human heart is radically and totally corrupt. It's warped. By birth, it is designed to delight in the darkness. It is totally depraved. For the human heart is deceitful above all else. Jeremiah 17.9, Romans 3.23, Ecclesiastes 9.3. And guess what? A human heart that has fallen, a human heart that is totally depraved, cannot rescue itself out of depravity. For can a leopard change its spots or an Ethiopian change its skin? It cannot. No one births themselves. Therefore, the Holy Spirit must act first. This is why a church that caters to what people want is not a godly church. Because what people want is depravity. If you let a depraved heart and you give it what it wants, you're giving that heart fuel to destroy itself. The worst thing a church could do is preach sermons, bend to culture, or let people think and believe what they want to believe. We are the problem. Humanity is the problem because our hearts are totally and radically depraved. That's why we have the word, which is not depraved. It is perfect holy and true. That's why we always go back to the objective standard of truth to reevaluate ourselves. As a medical doctor, I can testify that the whole idea of total depravity does not just apply to the church. It applies to all human life. Church, I'm going to give you an insight. This is speaking on 15 years of medical doctor experience. People know what they have to do to be healthy, but they don't want to be healthy. That's true. People know there are certain things that are bad for them. They know it's going to kill them. They know they're hurting themselves, but they don't want to be healthy. They want to be tired. They want to engage in behaviors that destroys them because the human heart is radically and totally depraved. You can't reform depravity. You can't clean up depravity. You can't wash depravity on the outside. You have to be made new. Who can do such a job? Only God can. And although the pull, the draw to the darkness is irresistible in an unregenerate heart, when the Holy Spirit regenerates someone, his draw, his pull is irresistible. When the Holy Spirit regenerates, it's by God's irresistible grace because when God acts on someone, they can never voluntarily say no. 
People bend to the will of God. His grace in regeneration is therefore irresistible. John 6.44, Acts 16.14, and 1 Peter 1.3. And the reassuring news is this. When the Holy Spirit acts to regenerate someone, he has a 100% success rate. Jesus says, unless a man is born again, born means violence. I have now been witness to two births of my two sons. It wasn't a civil encounter. In the hundred plus births that I've witnessed in my medical school training, there's always been violence. There's yelling, there's screaming, there's shouting, there's weeping, there's gnashing of teeth, there's nails digging into arms. It's not pleasant at all. And then after all of that violence is done, now you have the baby. The spiritual birth follows the same rules. When you are born again, there is now violence. There are tears of a conflicted conscience, and there's now an abhorrence to sin. When you are born again, you now love the light, which means what? You hate You detest, you abhor the darkness. You now abhor the fleshly and carnal version of yourself, meaning the new Christian life is a war. Who would ever make some doctrine like this up? This is how we know it is true, because the Christian life is a war where you declare and crucify yourself. As the Apostle Paul writes in Romans 7, verses 14 to 25, there's a conflict of two natures, where as the spiritual person lives and flourishes, the natural person dies. And if, beloved, you are truly a Christian, that means by necessity you love the light and hate, detest, abhor, disdain. You can't stand to look at the darkness. And you voluntarily and willingly Crucify it every single day. 1 John 1, 5-6 says, this is the apostle of love talking. This is the message we have heard from him and announced to you, that God is light and in him there is no darkness at all. If we say that we have fellowship with him and yet walk in the darkness, we lie and do not practice the truth. Church, we realize even if hell did not exist, a regenerated person would still hate sin. Because a regenerated person's heart, they detest sin, which has nothing to do with the consequences of that sin. We now hate sin because it's cosmic treason against our precious and sovereign Lord. Even if hell wasn't real, the regenerated person would still detest the darkness. Jesus tells Nicodemus, unless a man is born again, why must we be born again? Because there's a problem with the first birth. Look around you in the world. Everyone that's born dies. 
It's a fact of life. This is reality telling us there's something wrong with the first birth. By design, God never intended death to be in the fabric of reality. By original design, death did not exist. Death is not a normal part of reality. It's a consequence of sin. And because naturally speaking, everyone who's born dies, we now must be born again to have new life because there's a problem with the first birth. Everyone who is regenerated has two births. You have a natural birth and then a spiritual birth. Everyone that's regenerated dies once, which is natural, which tells us now the spirit lives forever. Born again means we have new life. And just like when a baby is born, they come into a world that's alien to them from the womb they came from. They come into a world where everything is new. Lights, mommies, daddies, bottles, going to the bathroom, all of that is novel to them because it's a brand new life. In the same way when a person is born again, they now enter into a new life of the church where there are little children, young men and fathers, people who are more mature in the faith, who will nurture and coddle a spiritual infant as they grow from infancy to maturity. And just as a child has half of their mommy's DNA and half of their daddy's DNA, and they look like and act like their parents, when you are now born again, you now have God's spiritual autograph written on your heart where God the Father now sees the child that he predestined, where Jesus sees the person he died for, and the Holy Spirit sees the child that he himself regenerated. And what's more relevant, beloved, than the birth, it's the life that follows the birth. God regenerates people so that you can live So being born again is just the beginning of a brand new, radically different Christian experience. Jesus tells Nicodemus, Truly, truly, I say to you, unless one is born again, he cannot see the kingdom of God. What does this phrase mean, seeing the kingdom of God? It tells us that unless someone has their spiritual eyes open, they are blind. And it doesn't matter how bright the light is, how true the light is, if someone is blind, that light won't help them. Seeing does mean to see literally, but it also means perceiving. It means experiencing, to be aware of, to show an interest in. Seeing, as in to see the kingdom of God, means the window of a person's heart is now open, so now they have new spiritual capacities. And as Jonathan Edwards once said in a classic sermon called, A Divine and Supernatural Light... When the Holy Spirit opens our eyes, our natural senses are not dismissed, but now our natural senses are augmented. Now we not only see things for what they are, we now begin to see through things, and we begin to see the spiritual, supernatural reality that gives everything natural meaning. When we have our eyes open to see the kingdom of God, we see the kingdom in heaven. 
We now are heavenly minded and realize eternity matters more than the present. We see the kingdom of God here on earth, where the church is a visible manifestation of God's kingdom, and members of the church are now ambassadors of that kingdom to the world. In seeing the kingdom, we see the king. We see Jesus Christ, who lived, who died, who resurrected. We see that Jesus accomplished our salvation at the cross, and now the Holy Spirit applies it. You see, Jesus didn't just die, church, to make salvation possible. Jesus died with a, by design with a precise exact, specific group of people in mind that he took their sins to the cross and nailed them on that old wooden cross. So that now all those individuals that Jesus specifically died for are those people that the Holy Spirit now applies that redemption and regenerates. John 10, 15 and 17, 9. And in seeing the kingdom of God, you see other servants in the kingdom of God and realize there be many fleshly divisions in this world, but the only one that matters is spiritual if you are regenerated or not, because that is the one that carries weight in eternity. And you see the kingdom of God because you are now a part of it. Church, I say to you truly, truly, that regeneration is fundamentally, totally, absolutely necessary. Why? Because whosoever is not regenerated will not see the kingdom of God. This is why, this is part of the reason why Jesus died to open up the door to make regeneration possible, to raise to new life people who now are alive spirits, who glorify a spiritual God, who will now be members of a spiritual kingdom and will therefore be co-heirs of a spiritual inheritance. And let us not forget when we say that regeneration is totally and critically necessary, Who was Jesus telling all of this to? To Nicodemus. And Jesus was telling Nicodemus, even you, a guy who seems to have everything right on the outside, even you, Nicodemus, need to be regenerated. Regeneration shows no partiality. Being good isn't good enough. Being well-versed in the scriptures isn't good enough. Even having a one-on-one conversation with Jesus isn't good enough. You must be born again. And until we realize that we must be regenerated and why we must be regenerated, we likely do not understand who we are and what our true standing with God really is. I'll close by saying this. In John chapter 3, verses 4 to 13, Jesus expands upon what he said in verse 3. Because Nicodemus didn't quite see yet. Nicodemus did not have his spiritual eyes opened as of yet. Nicodemus was still seeing with his flesh. 
And since a man must be born again to see the kingdom of God, we must embrace the reality that people may place stock in what they are or what they've achieved in the flesh, but God doesn't. For it is unless a man is born again that he cannot see the kingdom of God. This is why the church does not preach social justice. This is why the church does not preach legislation. This is why the church does not preach behavior modification. This is why the church does not preach moralism. This is why the church by nature preaches regeneration. For unless a man is regenerated, he cannot see the kingdom of God. And the means by which God regenerates people is the word when Jesus was going to expound to Nicodemus. As a teacher of the law, Jesus did not do a miracle. Jesus did not put his hands on Nicodemus and say, here, have the Holy Spirit. Jesus gave Nicodemus a word on regeneration. And God tells us the Holy Spirit tends to hover like a divine magnet wherever the word of God is being preached. And the Holy Spirit freely and operatively like a magnet begins drawing all those metal filings to himself. And once someone is united to him, they are there forever. For as it says in 1 Peter 1, 23-25, For you have been born again, not of seed which is perishable, but imperishable. That is, through the living and enduring word of God. And this is the word which was preached to you. As John 15 verses 1 to 11 will tell us, when we are born again, we are wild branches that are engrafted into the true vine, Jesus Christ. So we are not regenerated and are now autonomous agents that have life by ourselves. Rather, we are now engrafted into the vine that is Jesus and now derive our life, now derive our vitality, now derive our vigor from he who is the source. So that now our new life is characterized by faith in Jesus Christ and Jesus Christ alone. Let's pray. Lord, we thank you for the word, and we thank you for the marvel of the doctrine of regeneration. For you have told us, O Lord, that regeneration is a supernatural, miraculous act, yet you have ordained the preaching and teaching of the word as the means by which this happens. Something so simple, something so accessible to your people, yet it has cataclysmic ramifications that will bear fruit in eternity. I pray, O Lord, that you implant the necessity, the the critical nature, and the urgency of regeneration in the hearts and minds of all those who hear this word, that they may know for themselves and then have their eyes open to see your kingdom in and through this world and to promote your word, to promote your truth for all those, O Lord, who you have ordained in your will to turn their hearts and call upon the name of your Son. In Jesus' name we pray, amen. We do hope that you have been enriched and equipped by the preaching of Dr. Sadoffel. For more valuable resources, please visit wcsk.org. 
Until next time, peace be with you and to God be the glory forever.